Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hello, and I'm glad that you're with me today on the Liberty Cafe. This is episode 35 of the Liberty Cafe, and I'm so glad that you're with me today, that maybe you've been with me from the very beginning, episode number one. But whether it's your first episode or your last one, I'm glad you're with me this very day. I'm also glad to be sponsored and supported by, in this effort, Texas Scorecard. It's a great organization. If you have not heard of it, although if you're listening to this, you might probably have because you might have found us through Texas Scorecard. But in any case, go see what Texas Scorecard is telling you, particularly about what they're doing up at the Texas legislature, which unfortunately these days is not all that good. Well, today on episode 35, I'd like to talk about the Judas economy. That might be an interesting term for some of you, or at least you'd be curious about what that means. Well, I've been reading a book lately called The Maker Versus the Takers. It's by Jerry Bauer, or maybe it's Bauer. I'm not quite sure. I'm hoping in the not-too-distant future to have him on to talk about his book, so we'll find out exactly how his last name is pronounced then. But in the meantime, I just want to talk a little bit about what I've learned from his book and then apply that to what's going on in the United States and particularly Texas these days. So the full title of Bauer's book is The Makers Versus the Takers, What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice and Economics. And this is really an eye-opening book. If you look at the Bible from an economic perspective, or with an economic mindset, you find all kinds of things in there that most people haven't found, not because it's not in the Bible, but because they're not looking at it from that perspective. And there's nothing wrong with this or unusual about this, People look at the Bible from all different perspectives. We look at it from the cross, perspective of the cross, the perspective of the kingdom of God, the perspective of the Old Testament and the New Testament, of future times. There's all different kinds of ways for us as finite men and women to try and understand the infinite knowledge of God that is contained in the Bible. So economic readings of the Bible are not out of order. Having said that, when we do this, it really opens our eyes into what we can see about the Bible, not just about economics, but about the world in general, about why, for instance, Jesus was crucified. From a theological perspective, we understand that Jesus was crucified to pay the price for our sins so that we didn't have to die, rather we are resurrected with him and can live with him in eternity. But we also find out from Mr. Bauer's book that one of the reasons Jesus died was from an economic perspective, because the high priest who were ruling Jerusalem at the, the time, the high priest and those with them, the Sadducees, and then, of course, the Pharisees and, and the, uh, the ruling council, all the people who were part of that, had a strong economic interest in not having their power disrupted. And I'm not going to go into all the details of that right now. But Jesus came in and started disrupting their ability 
to make money. Their ability to maintain power and use that power to extort money or extract money from the people of Jerusalem and Judea and to some extent Galilee, not as much though, uh, because of their, their position in not just the church at that time or the temple, but in government. And that's where we get the name, the Judas economy. Actually, Mr. Bauer comes up with that and uses that as a subtitle for one of his, uh, in one of his chapters. And the reason for that is, is that it appears that Judas was in league with the leaders of the temple and those who opposed Jesus from very early on, maybe not conspiring with them, but he was one of them from the very beginning is perhaps a better way of saying it. For as much as we know, Judas was the only disciple who was from Judea. The rest of the disciples that we know of were from Galilee, and it's quite likely that all the rest were from Galilee. And so as we walk through Mr. Bauer's book, or maybe I should call him Jerry since I'm not exactly sure what his last name is, although I haven't met him, so maybe I shouldn't call him Jerry either. But let's stick with that for now. If you walk through Jerry's book, what you see is a situation where Jesus is opposing not rich people generally, not rulers generally, but particularly is focused on rulers in and around Jerusalem, Judea, because they are engaged in economic exploitation of the people. It's, it's a classic case, although I'm sure this term wasn't around back then, of corporate cronyism or corporate welfare. The rulers are using the temple system and are using taxation to take a lot of money from the people, and they're enriching themselves by it. And Judas, of course, was just like that because he had the purse for the disciples, the apostles, and used that purse to enrich himself. Remember, there was the one time where the woman, it might have been one of the Marys who was anointing Jesus with very expensive oils and perfumes and those kind of things. And Judas complained about it because as we said we could sell that and have a lot of money to give to the poor. Well, of course, Judas really wasn't up for helping the poor. He was up for helping himself, and he could pillage part of the take from that and keep it for himself. Well, isn't that just like today when all this talk about big government and big taxes is centered around helping the poor? You know, welfare, Medicaid, you, know, you, you name it. Much of the expansion of government that we experience today is based on the help, helping the poor. But of course, as we also experience, the poor don't really get much help from the government. Matter of fact, they're harmed greatly by it. But that doesn't keep the people who are doing this, whether it's, again, welfare or Medicaid or racism even, we got to help the poor folks from why ever they're poor by expanding the size and scope in government. And so what we see is the situation today, just like it was in the past. And let me just read a one short excerpt from uh, Jerry's book that kind of 
gives us a perspective on what Jesus thought about, let's call it corporate welfare. Quote, what the gospel accounts showed was a Jesus who was very concerned about economic exploitation, but whose economic denunciations were not broad to whom it may concern condemnations of all wealth. Instead, he directed his denunciations in very specific geographical and socioeconomic ways, aiming his barbs at the exploitative members of the ruling class. A close and careful reading of the Gospels allows us to fully embrace and quote the red letters of Jesus, who said, Woe unto you who are rich, without going on to confuse them with Che Guevara or Fidel Castro. You will, what you will see is Jesus confronting the takers of wealth, not the makers of it. He did this with such vigor and clarity, the ruling class who lived and worked in that nation's capital saw him as a threat to their system of economic extraction. That's why they instigated his judicial execution by the Roman state. Elites failed to heed Jesus' warning about the ways in which the capital city and its ruling political religious elite were courting disaster. Eventually, the economic problems Jesus warned about led to an economic collapse and the destruction of the capital city, Jerusalem. You're about to meet a Jesus who really does have something to say about social justice, but not the kind of social justice people have been selling in his name. That's the theory. Now for the evidence. I think we would be wise to heed both Jerry's and Jesus's warnings about economic exploitation. And we see that in the United States today. But the economic exploitation is not coming from entrepreneurs and capitalists. It's coming from big government partnership with crony capitalists. This is really where the Tea Party got its original start from. People tired of the takers taking money from the makers. The big government and big corporation reaching into the pocketbooks of hardworking Americans and just exploiting them for as much cash as they can get. Largely because, well, in the case of corporations, they don't want to hustle and work hard and compete to make money because maybe they're lazy, but probably even more so because they just want to ensure their profits and they don't really want to compete with others. And then in the case of government, well, the folks in government like their power and the money that comes along with it. If you haven't noticed, government jobs pay really, really well much better than you can make for the same thing in the private sector for the most part. And so they team up and they just take our money and it happens time and time again. But there's a cost to this. And just like there was a fall in Jerusalem because of economic exploitation, there was also a fall in Rome. Rome went from, you know, it was never a free market system or a democracy or anything like that. Yet there was a lot of entrepreneurial happenings and innovation and a lot of things like that. But as the, the empire went along, it, taxes and economic exploitation 
brought it to a fall, and eventually the the Hun were at the gates, and it was too late for them to do anything about it. I, I think America and even Texas is facing that kind of thing right now. No, is it going to happen next year? No. But it's going to happen if America keeps this up because we're not going to be able to afford to defend ourselves and we're going to collapse from within and then somebody's going to take care of us. Maybe China? Who knows? So that's my premise. But let's just look at a few examples of how the corporations and big government are joining together. Well, I think everybody has experienced or seen or heard of you know, the cancel culture and how Twitter and Facebook and other companies are going uh, after free speech and partnership to consolidate their power. And we've also seen pretty standard stuff these days that were the big corporate giants are coming out against uh, Republicans trying to restrict voting rights. At least that's what they call it. But Republicans really aren't trying to restrict voting rights. They're trying to restrict voter fraud. But that doesn't seem to matter to, was it American Airlines, Dell Technologies, Major League Baseball, you know, Dell CEO Michael Dell has gotten out there and done this. I mean, these people probably aren't looking very closely at this, but they're going after it because it works well for their partnership with big government. AT&T has done the same thing. So that's just one set of examples on that. Another one is uh, legalized commercial casinos, sports betting. You know, that takes place in a few states, you know, New Jersey, Louisiana. Uh, most importantly, or the most of it takes place in Las Vegas, in Nevada. But it's a constant push in Texas, and they continue to push in here. And if you're a libertarian, you might say, well, gambling should be legal in any state. Well, yeah, I can get that, and I could understand that, and not, I wouldn't necessarily agree with it, but I, I think you can make a good rational case for it. But the kind of bills and gambling programs they have in these other states, and they would have in Texas, have nothing to do with liberty. They have to do with big corporations setting up limited opportunities to gamble, and they get to control it. And then the state gets lots of money from it. And that's one of the typical selling points for this. Dan Huberty, for instance, in uh, out of Houston, state rep here, uh, pushed up his um, pushed his bill, House Bill 2070. And uh, the Texan says that his argument centered on the economic benefits and his contention that there's already a prevalent black market for sports bet betting. Right. Well, he, he just says, basically what he's saying is, Texans are betting on sports. A lot of money's flown out of state. So let's just capture it and keep it here. Well, and by the way, just favor some of Mr. Hubity's contributors, perhaps. Don't know where he's getting his money. But that could be the case, right? Another reason uh, that corporations might be getting together with um, big businesses is more directly to help their bottom line through either subsidies from the government or no taxes. And for instance, I've got an article here from the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy that talks about their 55 corporations paid $0 in federal taxes on 2020 profits. 
I don't know all the ins and outs of the tax, U.S. tax code. But what I do know is that a lot of companies are, who are not paying zero taxes are doing so because of tax breaks for special interest or subsidies either way. For instance, food conglomerate Archer Daniels Midland, he had had a $438 million of U.S. pre-tax income last year and had a federal tax rebate of $164 million. So they didn't pay any income taxes. Why? Because they pr- produce ethanol. And ethanol gets these huge tax breaks, thanks to Charles Grassley and, and the rest of Congress. How about a bunch of renewable energy companies? On this list, there's a bunch of those. American Electric Power is one of the ones on this list. Uh, CMS Energy is another one. Let's see. Duke Energy is another one. First Energy is another one. Let's see if I can find any more on this list from that. Nucor. Now they make metal and products, something like that. Uh, but there are a lot of very large companies. XL Energy that get a lot of tax credits from producing electricity. Not that they produce a lot very efficiently, but from wind and solar power. So that's another example of why these big businesses are getting in bed with big government because it's protecting their bottom line. I've got I did a report for the, um, the Energy Alliance not too long ago that kind of laid out the cost of these renewable energy subsidies. I won't go through it all, but since uh, in Texas alone, since 2006, there have been about $19 billion of re- renewable energy subsidies poured into this state, either from the federal government, from the state government, or local government. And then for the next uh, eight or nine, nine or 10 years through 2029, we're looking at another $15.9 billion. All told, from 2006 to 2029, renewable energy companies have gotten $119 billion or have had and will have $119 billion of subsidies through tax credits and other means from government. It's from the federal government in particular. It's a mess. But it's not just renewable energy companies in Texas. Here, here's another one. Uh, right now, we have uh, a bill before the Texas House of Representatives. I can't remember the number right now, but it's by Representative Chris Patty. And he's pushing for subsidies for all generators in Texas, not just renewable energy companies. They had in 2000 and oh, about 12 or 13, they had a big push for renewable energy subsidies. They had a big push for what's called a capacity market. And the estimates of what this capacity market would do would would increase electricity prices for Texans about $4 billion a year. Well, they're they're back because they failed to get it back then. Although what they did get back then was this little price adder that I won't go into all the details, but it it allows the, um, the, the PUC and ERCOT, who manages the Texas grid, to increase prices here and there. Well, in 2019, they increased prices a whole lot by $3.6 billion. And that's a tax on your electricity that you'll never see on a bill anywhere because they just increased the price. You paid higher prices and it went not even to the government. It went straight to the businesses who did that. Well, all those businesses are back because that ORDC doesn't really produce that kind of money every year for them. And so in Chris Patty's bill, they're trying to push for a complete 
and true capacity market, just like they have up in the Northeast. Up there, it's cost like $10 billion a year. Estimates here are about 4 to $8 billion a year increase in electricity prices. That would be a 4 to $8 billion a year electricity tax on Texans. You hardly even hear about this because they run it all underneath the media. You just don't hear about it. Finally, one thing I'd like to point out is the subsidies or the regulatory favoritism that we find in Texas for the Texas title insurance. We all pay a title insurance tax in Texas, but again, we never see it. We just see it in high prices. So I did a study on this back in 2017 and found that for a $300,000 home with 5% down, Texans would pay $2,663 for title insurance. That's the fifth highest in the country. In some states, you can pay as little as about $500 or so, five dollars to $800 or so, and get that same title insurance policy. Notice I just said Texans would pay $2,663 for title insurance. I didn't say the average Texan would. Because the state of Texas actually sets the price for title insurance, and we all pay the same thing. Well, why does the state of Texas set the price? Because over the years, the title insurance companies have essentially written the Texas title insurance code, and they have it exactly how they want it to look. So they get their money, and nobody can even touch it. Right? There, there's Go try and change the laws on title insurance companies in Texas. I tried in 2017, had some success, but eventually the inside game uh, defeated us because they had so many lobbyists that they hired to fight against us. We had little chance in winning. Same thing happened in 2019 when we tried to take on the renewable energy lobby. We, We had more success with that, but limited success because, again, they hired dozen, two dozen extra lobbyists, even money coming in from out of state to defeat us. Why? Because however much money they spent on lobbyists, and this is true for the renewable energy industry, it's true for the title insurance industry, it's true for all these industries, however much money they spend to lobby legislators to restrict freedom and protect their profits, they're going to make more money in the money they get from the government than they're spending here. So it's a win-win situation for them and pretty much a lose-lose situation for consumers and citizens who are concerned about freedom. Well, that's what we have to talk about today with corporate welfare, corporate cronyism, and the Judas economy. And I hope you can see we see a lot of the same aspects in Texas and the United States today, as we saw back in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus's birth. And the words of warning that Jesus gave to the leaders in those days, I think is just as applicable today. And I hope pretty soon to have Jerry Bauer, or Boyer, on the show pretty soon, so we can talk more about that. Thank you again for joining me on the Liberty Cafe And thanks once again to our sponsor for the Liberty Cafe, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. 
You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.